Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, this is David Rothkopf of Deep State Radio. One of the new features that we've got at our Deep State Radio Network dot com website is a series of uh, mini podcasts that will allow you to get instant uh, perspectives on different parts of what's going on in national security and foreign policy and politics from our experts uh, without having to uh, uh, go to the length of, of, of one of our, our longer and yet utterly engrossing um, uh traditional podcasts. And so we've got some that we're calling rants, which are really op-eds. There's, you know, five to seven minutes about a topic. And then there's another set that are called briefs and debriefs. And the idea behind briefs and debriefs is take something that's happening in the news, get an expert who really understands it well, and do a deep dive in real time, 15 minutes, sometimes 20, sometimes 12. But just the kind of thing that can can be a bunch of smart pills and a bunch of insights uh, that may be helpful to you in, in doing your job or, or, or just in understanding what's going on. And so what we're doing here is we're giving you a little bit of a taste of one of these, one of our briefs and debriefs that we just did with Katie Fang, a lawyer who's part of our Deep State Radio family, uh, who's been watching the Kavanaugh hearings uh, and provides some perspective on what has happened at the hearings and also where they're going. Uh, we hope you'll listen to it, and then you'll go to deepstateradionetwork.com, look around, go to the membership page, sign up, support us, because we need your support. And if you've been out there listening to us, please don't leave us hanging. Go sign up, become a member, uh, support us so we can do more cool stuff like this uh, for you, for the family. And we've got some other cool things coming, and we'll introduce those over the next days and weeks. But for now, over to you to enjoy uh, uh, and and to be illuminated by Katie and this discussion of the Kavanaugh hearings. This is one of Deep State Radio's briefs and debriefs. Hi, this is David Rothkopf. Welcome to another one of Deep State Radio's briefs and debriefs in which we explore an issue in the news uh, and get into a little bit more depth with one of our experts. Today, we're lucky to have one of the, the friends of, of, of Deep State Radio here, Katie Fang, who is an attorney and who uh, has been a prosecutor. Um, Katie, I assume you've been watching uh, the Kavanaugh hearings today. Is that correct assumption to make? Yeah, me and myself, and sounds like most of America has been tuning in. It's kind of hard to miss that, right? Yeah, well, I kind of hope they were tuning in, frankly. The morning sure. was quite inspiring, um, and the afternoon has been shocking in some ways. But um, rather than my, my offering my take, what's your, what's your take on it? We're doing this sort of late in the afternoon, so we haven't quite finished the testimony of Kavanaugh, so I want to put it in perspective for people. But up until now, what's your perspective? Well, uh, you know, I don't know, David, if we need to even continue to keep on hearing from Brett Kavanaugh. I think that he's pretty much made his position on this perfectly clear. Um, I'm, I'm stunned. 
uh, as a practicing lawyer who also routinely appears in federal court, I would never have expected to see that level of just kind of visceral anger from a sitting United States appellate court judge, right? Definitely not something I would expect to see. I will not begrudge Brett Kavanaugh that he is in perhaps what he seems to think is a professional and personal fight for his life and his career, right? But I just was stunned because it wasn't something that I expected to see from him. And what's problematic now is um, the Republican Senate Judiciary Committee members have now basically stopped asking questions. And wasn't that the whole purpose of this hearing? The purpose of this hearing was to dig deeper, to get more information, to ask the more probing questions, and they're not asking them at all. Um, once Rachel Mitchell asked some questions and almost like checked the box on behalf of the GOP, the next thing we know is the only time that we're hearing questions is when um, Democratic senators are questioning Brett Kavanaugh, and now all we're getting are some pretty angry soapbox speeches from the GOP. So to the extent, David, that you know, there's maybe a little bit more time left in this hearing. Yeah, great, but I don't think we're going to get anything more illuminating or enlightening. And then it really kind of boils down to something that I've been asking for weeks since Dr. Ford came forward, which is, where is Mark Judge? Why does he get a pass? I get it. Dr. Ford has to be there. Um, I get it. Brett Kavanaugh has to be there. Where's Mark Judge? And why won't Brett Kavanaugh answer the question when posed to him as to, don't you want Mark Judge to be here to kind of clear the air and, and add more evidence and transparency to this process? And Brett Kavanaugh dodges the question and won't answer it, which also kind of suggests that perhaps we're not going to get the full, um, what is it, the disinfectant of, of sunshine and light on what has really happened here. And so it's kind of disconcerting. Um, actually, it's very disconcerting, David, as a United States citizen, as a woman, as a mother, um, and as a lawyer. Uh, this, this, this process is just devastatingly not what it should have been. And I find it hard to believe that there aren't other completely qualified on a, on a character level and on a professional level candidates for this job. It's the highest court in the land. This should not be the process by which we achieve our next Supreme Court justice. Well, let me let me ask you questions to sort of break it down into three parts, okay? Sure. First of all, this morning we had Christine Blasey Ford come out there. No one had seen her. Nobody knew anything about it. Uh, she was put into a very, very tough situation. Um, how do you think she did? I think she came across credible. Um, I think that she had a level of sincerity that... I would not have expected anything less from her in that regard. She was remarkably more composed, still emotional, but more composed than Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and and, and, it, and it, the way that she spoke and the way that she testified, I felt rang true in a lot of people's minds as well as their hearts. Because remember, David, that's the difference, right? As a lawyer, we're, we're really counting on evidence and facts that we can, you know, either see, hear, touch, or listen to when we're listening to cases and trying the facts of a case, especially if you're a member of a jury. And so for, for Dr. Blasey Ford, this was her opportunity to tell her story and to be able to answer questions. And I think she did a great job. And I think we saw that. And I don't think that this was a huge shining moment for the GOP this morning um, in terms of the way that she testified. So then everybody was waiting with bated breath for Brett Kavanaugh to come in. And I, I think like many others, expected him to be calm, composed, 
maybe firm, maybe stern, maybe just a little bit more um, impassioned than just past that point, and to say, I didn't do it very directly. Um, and, but I think that the, the comparison now between Dr. Ford this morning and Brett Kavanaugh is just startling. I mean, it's almost like they're at different ends of the spectrum, and I think that that's going to be um, a problem for Brett Kavanaugh. But ultimately, um, I don't think it's—I don't think Dr. Ford's testimony this morning is necessarily going to move the needle for the Senate Republicans. So let me ask you a couple questions about the Kavanaugh side of the hearing. One that struck me, and I'm interested in your perspectives, was that his statement, which went on and on. Mm-hmm was at, at, at one point extremely political, uh, even threateningly political. And he brought up the Clintons and he said, what goes around comes around. And, and, and you know, it's, it struck me that regardless of what the subject of this conversation is, it's about whether somebody can serve as an impartial justice on the Supreme Court. And he revealed himself in this statement to be incredibly partisan. Now, you know, I, I, but that was just me, though, and maybe this is inevitable, and I just want to know what your take is. Well, I hate the word inevitable. It kind of means like this whole thing doesn't really have a purpose then, does it? And it's really kind of underscores how politicized this whole process has become. I mean, this, the process to appoint a Supreme Court justice um, if I can digress for a second before answering your question, David, it should never be a political process. I get that whoever's the sitting president gets to have the the pleasure of the nomination, you know. But I mean, this whole process it should be as nonpartisan as it can be, which is why when you do get somebody who says that this was a quote calculated and orchestrated political hit to exact revenge on behalf of the Clintons, I mean, really, was that a necessary component to be able to defend his honor? Today, I don't think so. In fact, I know it was not. And so now, if you are going to be a litigant, if you're going to be a lawyer representing a litigant, don't you have a fear now that if you bring some type of case before either Judge Kavanaugh, if he remains on the appellate court bench, or Justice Kavanaugh, if he ends up getting appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States, you have a legitimate fear that there's going to be an already biased and partisan mind um, made up by Brett Kavanaugh. And that's not how the legal system is supposed to work. That is a complete perversion of our judicial system to think that the deck is already stacked against you because a sitting judge who's supposed to be a fair and impartial arbiter of the law has already predetermined the outcome of your case because you may not share his political views. That is wrong. And so his, his, drama today. I get it. He's defending himself. He's got a wife and two young daughters. I get it. He's being attacked. But you know what? It's just exceptionally unprofessional for a sitting judge, a federal judge especially, to show that level of impartiality on national television. So one other, I mean, there's been a lot of drama here, but some of it has been kabuki theater, right? Sure. So, and and one, one component of the kabuki theater has centered on uh, the Republican complaints that the Kavanaugh, uh, the, the revelation about Dr. Ford was dropped in at the last minute. Because you have to ask the question, the last minute of what? Who said it was the last minute? Why couldn't this process go on longer? They determined that it was the last minute because they wanted to rush through the process. But the other component, which relates to that, has to do with 
um, Kavanaugh demanding to clear his name. Um, but then when confronted by Senator Durbin directly with the option of saying an FBI interview will help clear my name, I understand as a judge that having an objective Siri, an inve objective investigation in which the people who are questioned do so under oath and under penalties of the law, if they lie, um, that, that that would help clear his name. And, and when he said, do you want that? Kavanaugh sat there stone-faced. Mm -hmm. He just simply couldn't open his mouth and say yes. And part of the Kabuki theater, sorry, but just to put it into perspective, is he, you know, earlier it said, well, I do whatever the committee wants. Well, the notion that somehow Kavanaugh, the White House, and the committee have not determined that they don't want an FBI investigation is ludicrous, is it not? Well, yeah, because as a judge, you have to be a lawyer. As a lawyer, especially somebody of Brett Kavanaugh's ilk, and, and you know, he's, he's a, he's a yeah, listen, I was Yale undergrad, and as, a, as an anecdotal note, I'll tell you, there was a lot of drinking at Yale when I was there. So he's a double Yaley, Yale undergrad, Yale law, and when he graduated, he's a lawyer, and he, became, he got on the bench, and, you know, he's, he knows what is important for people to know in a case, and that is evidence, that is facts, that is, you know, third parties um, charged with the duty and the mission to investigate allegations. Because how much better would this have turned out for Brett Kavanaugh if the FBI went, spoke to all of these people, got the statements, and then was able to make a presentation? You know, I don't disagree. Hello. Yes, it's not the FBI who's going to say you are guilty of a crime. The FBI doesn't say that. The FBI collects the evidence, and then they present it to a prosecuting agency. Let's say if this was a criminal investigation. And then it's up to the prosecuting agency to decide what charges are best to pursue in this whole arena which i've always emphasized for weeks now this is not going to be a trial nobody is on trial right now so side note using a prosecutor like rachel mitchell whether you thought she did a bang-up job today or not i thought really kind of set the tone for what was going to happen today but you know you want to be armed with all of the available facts and the evidence and so for kavanaugh to sit there and say, quote, I welcome any investigation, well, then he should himself demand that they put the brakes on this, let people and witnesses and facts be explored and investigated by a third-party law enforcement agency, and then let them revert back with the facts and the evidence, and then let other people have a comfort level on what has occurred. Because you and I both know, David, that this confirmation vote is going to be shoved down and rammed down people's throats tomorrow morning. That's what's going to happen. Well, no, I think it is. And and yeah. I think the Republicans are hardening on this as the day goes by. I think their anger is to some degree a manifestation of the fact that Christine Blasey Ford was so good. One of mm -hmm. the central issues and another one of the bits of strange kabuki theater in this, uh, although there's a huge number of inconsistencies, is that she put somebody else in the room for this criminal act. And that's Mark Judd. And interestingly enough, um, uh, you know, one of the key elements of keeping the FBI out is not to have Mark Judge interviewed by them or not to have him appear as a witness um, because they're afraid of what he's going to say if under uh, the pressure of real scrutiny. But interestingly, when asked about Judge, uh, Kavanaugh said, well, look, he gave a statement saying he didn't recall this. So that 
refutes all of your assertions. Uh, I think misunderstanding what the word refutes means. And then later on, when asked about his book, Kavanaugh said, I don't believe his book. He's a drunk. You know, it's like. And, and, that, and that dialogue that happened about Mark – and here's the thing that's coming across, which I find to be just so odd. Brett Kavanaugh is, like, carrying the flag in the defense of Mark Judge and, and almost, like, insinuating, if not directly a- accusing the fact that people want to hear from Mark Judge, especially in a controlled environment like, I don't know, a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. So, you know, the fact that Kavanaugh is like, how dare you attack a man who has suffered from alcohol? and um, has medical conditions. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that that in and of itself disqualifies him as a witness who could testify under penalties of perjury as to what happened that night. There is no civil or criminal case that I ever dealt with as a lawyer wherein if there was another eyewitness or, or exceptionally, like, pivotally relevant witness to an event, to either a a civil claim or to a criminal case, there is no way in hell you would not get to that person, call them as a witness, subpoena them, force them to appear, rid of bodily attachment to make them show up. I don't care what it took, you would get them. And the fact that we're not hearing from Mark Judge, the fact that there's this level of protection for a man who's holed up now in Delaware or wherever the hell he is, is absurd. And this is a total perversion of the process now. We're all sitting here dancing around Mark Judge. He's become like the iconic figure of the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, and nobody has ever going to hear from him other than him saying in a letter through his lawyer, I don't recall. That's just well, not sufficient. Right. It's, it's kind of like the bizarre, twisted institutionalization of the bro code. You know, and there was this bro and they were in a room and they're going to go and protect each other. And they're actually setting up this massive apparatus that involves the president, the, the, the Senate, and keeping the FBI out and all of this to keep him away. But, you know, there's also built into that a certain degree of entitlement. We went to private school. We behaved like jerks. Uh, you know, we're, we're entitled to get through this. And same, same is true, you'll forgive the expression, with what happened at Yale. And one of the reasons we call these briefs and debriefs is because they're supposed to be brief. So let me ask you, one one more quick question, and that is about the long-term implications of this. The only person this afternoon who sounded more unhinged than Kavanaugh was Lindsey Graham, Graham, who yeah. the top of his head exploded, it blew off, you know, he went completely nuts, said this was the worst moment in the history of the Senate, blah, 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 blah. and this was a, you know, horrible moment, and things will be, you know, never be the same, uh, and and so on. And, you know, all I can think of is Merrick Garland. Do, do you remember the 400 days that you didn't approve him um, and how you manipulated the process then? But but as you look forward and you sort of have the context of what happened with Merrick Garland and what has happened here, wh- what do you foresee for this process in the future? Yeah, I, I, I see, sadly, that when somebody like Brett Kavanaugh gets appointed to the highest court of our land, that it's it's really just depressing because not because you know it's the process has been it's become a depressing process because 
now it's it's going to be be almost irrelevant um you know what the qualities are or the qualifications are of the nominee i mean listen david last year the whole nuclear option being invoked and us getting to this point listen i've made the argument and you know and i'll stand by the proposition that Maybe that filibuster shouldn't happen on somebody like Gorsuch, right? Maybe it should not have been, quote, wasted and all this other stuff. But, you know, it really shouldn't be at this point for the appointment to such a court. I mean, this is the Supreme Court, lifetime appointments, people at his age, as in Kavanaugh's age. These are people, these are people who are going to be making the decisions that are going to materially affect all of us in the United States. And so the future of appointments has now going to be what? Lindsey Graham losing his mind on national television and screaming and doing, by the way, zero fact-finding. The purpose of today's confirmation hearing was to fact-find and get information from Dr. Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. And as we circle back to my first comments at the beginning of this, this talk with you, the GOP just kind of stopped, right? They just kind of said, look, we don't need to ask you any more questions, Judge Kavanaugh, because we already know what we know. Well, doesn't that tell you everything you need to know about what's happening to this process and where the process is going to go? And so it's depressing. It really is depressing as a, again, as a United States citizen, as a mother of a daughter, um, and as a lawyer. This is one of the most depressing things I've seen in a long time. Well, uh, thank you for putting it into perspective. We hope you'll come back onto Deep State Radio, onto the podcast uh, again and frequently. You're terrific. Uh, we love the commentary that you do on TV also, and um, we'll let you go back to watching the remainder of the hearings uh, and talk to you sometime soon. Thank you very much, Katie. Thanks, David. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.